The news reported this past Thursday that two men and a dog were lost at sea in a sailboat. A violent storm, 40-foot waves blew them off course, broke the mast of their boat, left them stranded without fuel. They had no ability to communicate with shore. And for those men, it was a terrifying experience. The Coast Guard launched a massive search and rescue operation. It involved planes, helicopters, boats, even a U.S. Navy cruiser. They covered more than 21,000 square miles from Massachusetts to Florida looking for that boat to no avail. Ironically, the men were finally found by an oil tanker that just happened upon them adrift in the middle of the Atlantic. And those men and their families were reunited this past Wednesday after being gone for 10 days, 10 terrifying days. Now, the same day that was reported, the news also told about a 36-year-old woman who had fallen overboard on a, a cruise And according to the article, search and rescue was undertaken right away. Tragically, the woman was dead by the time they found her. Sometimes search and rescue has a happy ending, sometimes not so much. You know, we've said throughout this series that Christmas set into motion the most dramatic search and rescue operation of all time. Spiritually speaking, Jesus' arrival on earth was more of a divine invasion than a gentle and quiet nativity scene like we see on most Christmas cards and in kids' videos. The God of the universe burst onto the scene so that he could save us from sin and death, so that he could really for us allow eternal life to save us from that separation from God. Christmas reminds us that there's still hope, that there's always hope. There's hope when we've messed up. There's hope when life gets chaotic. There's hope when God seems far away from us. And there's just hope when all seems lost. Christmas is a dramatic reminder of that reality. Now, let's be honest. We're all over the place when it comes to our feelings about Christmas. For some people, what? It's the most wonderful time of the year. We hear that in songs on the radio. There's parties and there's programs and there's family and friends to visit. There's gifts to give. There's gifts to open. And it just seems so wonderful. But for other people, the first three and a half weeks of December are the longest 25 days of the year. Oh, retailers tell us that there's joy in a shopping bag and Hallmark movies show people laughing and families reuniting and people falling in love. There's George Bailey, you know, finding out how important his life really is. And then there's all those Christmas cards that come. I don't know if you get many of those or not, but they start rolling in before all the Thanksgiving turkey has been polished off. And don't get me wrong, I love Christmas cards. I love the ones where people send pictures of their family so you can see how much their kids have grown and you can compare yourself to see if they look like they've aged more than you in the last year. You know, it's kind of fun to see all that going on. Remember when when Christmas letters were a big deal in Christmas cards? People would write these two and three page letters of all the stuff that they've been up to. You know, now with social media, you know what your friends had for dinner last night. But, but back in the day, people had to fill you in for a whole year. And then they talk about if they had kids or grandkids, how they were, you know, destined for Harvard or for the NFL or for Hollywood. And they're only toddlers at the time. And I hate to break it to you, but your, your kids, your grandkids probably aren't as smart and good looking as mine. But I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, everybody kind of has their feelings about all of that. And you, you look around and you say, man, 
People seem so excited in December, and there's all this celebrating going on, and maybe you're wondering why you can't seem to get a piece of the action. Why is Christmas so hard for you when it seems like it's magical for everybody else? I think some people kind of relate more to Mary as the Christmas story unfolds, and other people relate more to Joseph. See, Mary received this overwhelming, exciting, earth-shattering news from, of all things, from an angel. Joseph received news from Mary, and it was the most devastating news that he could possibly imagine. His Christmas started out with a kick in the gut. We're thinking about Christmas as a search and rescue operation. And we've already talked about the May Day distress call that went out all the way back in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve first sinned. With sin came death and mankind was in a mess. And we saw last week that God had a game plan to face this crisis. And it was set into motion when he sent the angel Gabriel to talk to a, a priest named Zechariah. He and his wife Elizabeth were unable to have children. They're well beyond childbearing years. And now they're promised surprisingly, miraculously, they're going to be parents. And their son John was going to prepare the world for the coming Savior. Today we're going to see that the rescuer himself was deployed through Mary and Joseph. And Luke tells us how that unfolds. And you've heard these verses so many times. But listen again, maybe with new ears. To Mary's news first, Luke 1.26, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You'll be with child. You will give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary is visited by this angel. And that's incredible enough, but it was what Gabriel told her that really rocked her world. You talk about unimaginable news, she could hardly imagine. She's going to give birth to the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And she's like, wait a minute, I'm not married, I've never been with a man, how can I have a baby? And Gabriel explains to her, it's by the power of God's Spirit that this would happen. With God, all things are possible, he says. And, and friends, the reality is the virgin birth is one of the pivotal doctrines of the Christian faith. It's not that sex is a bad thing, a dirty thing. He's just, Jesus couldn't be conceived that way. Children that are conceived in the natural way are still a miracle, a beautiful gift from the Lord. But God was sending his son, not just in a miraculous way, even though that's true. It was more than that. Having Jesus born to a virgin underscored the fact that he was both God and man. That he was the God-man, God in the flesh. And you face it, if God could create the universe, which we believe he did, a virgin birth really would not be that big of a deal. That this, people who act like this is so impossible, when God created the heavens and the earth, it, you know, this is just one more way that God is arranging history to unfold. I remember I was at a high school week of church camp when Gail found out we were expecting Aaron, our firstborn. 
just to clarify, I was not a, a camper at the high school week of church camp. Okay, when we found out we were expecting a baby, let's not get any rumors going here. Um, I was leading, helping lead that week of church camp. And, and so Gail had gone to the doctor that week, and the deal was she was going to call and leave a message at the camp office. This was back when the only person who had a cell phone was James Bond. God rest his soul. Sorry if you missed that movie. But anyway, um, so, so we're kind of at the mercy of the phone lines here. And uh, I waited all afternoon. I waited maybe is there going to be some big announcement over the intercom. Mark and Gail are expecting a baby. I wasn't exactly sure what was going to happen. And about supper time, I went to Mrs. Heller, the camp manager's wife, and I said, has Gail called today? And she said, oh, yeah, she called. I forgot to tell you. And I'm like, what did she say? Well, she just said yes. That's all she said. Poor Mrs. Heller. I'm like, what? And I'm running all over the place telling everybody I'm going to be a dad before she even knows what hits her there. And you know what? I told you I was cool at nine, right? Yeah, I went downhill from there. Okay, anyway, Mary is on top of the world and She's thinking throughout history, all the women of history, God has chosen me to have this privilege, this incredible responsibility to raise the son of God. This was just so incredible for her. And I love her response in Luke 1.38. She said, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And the New Living Translation just says, may everything you've said about me come true. Gabriel, if this is God's plan, let's do this thing. And she's all in. Right away, she rushes off to her relative Elizabeth's. She wanted to be with somebody who understood the impact of this announcement, understood miraculous conception. And when she got there, man, this, this hymn of praise just poured out of her. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He's been mindful of me. He has done great things for me. All generations will call me blessed. Sometimes, sometimes God does big things. He blesses us in dramatic ways, and we can't help but rejoice. But the truth is, there are those other times when it just feels like life falls apart, when everything seems lost, and, and, and you just think, how can I have joy? Maybe you're alone this Christmas for the first time in years, or, or maybe the first time ever. Maybe you've been diagnosed with some sickness, with cancer, and God has not intervened in your life. Maybe you've recently had a breakup and you're wondering if there's life on the other side of heartache. Maybe you've prayed for a baby and the crib is still empty. Mary was on cloud nine when she received this news. Three months later when she returns from Elizabeth's and she tells Joseph about it, the cloud becomes a tornado. The Gospel of Matthew gives us a glimpse of Joseph's broken heart. Matthew 1.18. This is how the spirit, I'm sorry, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, in first century Israel, an engagement was so firm and so final that for it to be broken was considered a divorce. And we read this verse so casually. Mary was found to be with child, so Joseph decided not to marry her after all. 
And it makes it sound like he decided instead of onion rings, he's going to have curly fries. I mean, like, oh, this is no big deal. I mean, he decided not to marry her after all. Joseph is devastated. This is a heartbreaking thing. And I find myself so often in Scripture when it relates kind of very emotional events in very straightforward, plain ways like this. I want to know more. I want to know how Mary told him the news. What did he say in response? Did they argue? Did he yell? Did he cry? Did he refuse to look her in the face? Was, was Mary shocked by his reaction? Did she expect him to be happy? We don't know. What we do know is that Joseph had believed that Mary was pure and godly and trustworthy, and now she comes back from this trip to visit relatives, and she's expecting a baby. And not only that, she expects him to be happy about it. Are you kidding me? I mean, obviously, he had grossly misjudged her character. He's he's heartbroken here. The more Joseph thought about it, the more frustrated he probably became, visited by an angel. Seriously? The mother of the Messiah? I mean, it just makes everything even worse. Couldn't she at least have told him the truth? Who would be gullible enough to believe a story like this? Can you imagine trying to explain this to his family and friends? He'd be laughed out of Nazareth. And Joseph just didn't know what to do. If he went ahead and married her, as soon as she began to show, people would accuse him of being the father. His reputation would be ruined. On top of that, he would be raising a son that wasn't his and living with a woman that he couldn't trust. On the other hand, if he told everybody what she had done, Mary would be disgraced, by all rights, could have been stoned. What should he do? What would you have done? Now, to his credit, Joseph handled all this quietly, probably trying to help Mary salvage some some sense of dignity. Maybe he thought, well, she can leave Nazareth. She can go live with Elizabeth, maybe start life over there somewhere else. But man, his world would never be the same. And I wonder if you've ever built something up in your mind so much only to have it come crashing down. You thought everything was going to be perfect, and suddenly all seems lost. And man, Joseph understands that. His ideal became a raw deal, and now he's got to find a new deal. And I want to show you, again, in very familiar verses, how God resolved this situation. And this is so important, because here's what Joseph thought. Joseph thought that his biggest problem was that his fiancée was pregnant. And what he did not realize is that God was about to fix the biggest problem in history. The biggest problem that all of us have. Look at what the angel said to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 verse 20. After he had considered all this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son. You will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, when Joseph reached the lowest point in his life, God sent an angel through a dream 
to clarify the situation. Mary was telling the truth after all. This baby really is a miracle from God. You're going to be the earthly father to the king of kings, the lord of lords, the prince of peace, the savior of all the earth. And I have to think this impacted him on at least three different levels. For one thing, Mary was telling the truth. And man, all that devastating, gut-wrenching feeling of betrayal is gone. Also, because God was sending Jesus, mankind is going to have his sins washed away forever. And number three, he's going to be stepfather to the Son of God. You think you've got Christmas pressure. Can you imagine that news? Look, search and rescue is all about seeking and saving that which has been lost. And all the way back at the beginning of time, when that May Day call went out from the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve first sinned, it became obvious that sin brought death and that we were helpless to save ourselves. But even before the beginning of time, God had this plan to rescue us. The Bible's clear about that. I mean, throughout the Old Testament, God kept reaffirming this promise. All is not lost. Help is on the way. Don't give up hope. And then when Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, God's plan was set into motion. The Savior has been deployed. And when he's born, and we talk about that next week, it's contact. The ultimate search and rescue is unfolding before our eyes. I read a story several years ago about Tammy Trent. She was a Christian recording artist. She and her husband were on vacation in Jamaica years ago. In fact, it was September of 2001. And he had gone scuba diving on September the 10th. He never came back. His body was found on September 11th, just as airplanes were crashing into the World Trade Center. The world was falling apart. Her world was falling apart. Of course, most of you remember all flights were grounded. Tammy was unable to travel home. Friends and family were unable to get to her. She was stranded all alone in a hotel, sobbing her eyes out, trying to get her brain around this horrible tragedy. And she just kept praying, God, I I can't get through this. Lord, I I need you to help me. I need you to send an angel to me. Send an angel who will put their arms around me and hold me. Please, God. And, and she said, suddenly I heard a knock at the door, and there stood an angel. Granted, she was dressed in the uniform of a Hilton Hotel cleaning woman, but I knew that God had sent her to me. Seeing my face, she said, honey, you all right? And I fought back tears. I, I said, no. And she said, you're grieving, aren't you? And she put her cleaning supplies down, and she just wrapped me in an embrace. And Tammy said she just sobbed and sobbed on her shoulder. She said, are you a Christian? Can I pray for you? And this woman, she said, prayed the most beautiful and comforting prayer. And I kind of regained my composure a bit. I sat down to read my Bible, Tammy says. And and this woman cleaned her room and just kept singing. Singing hymns and singing praise songs to the Lord one after the other. Tammy said, I prayed for an angel to come. And God answered my prayer. It wasn't Gabriel, but God answered. Look, when we are at the depths of despair, when the pain feels like it's just too much to deal with, when maybe you're not sure if you can put one more foot in front of the other, search and rescue is the only hope. God meets us where we are. He gives us the strength to endure, maybe to prevail. 
And I know that Christmas is ultimately about God saving us from our sins, but there's something about the fact that Christmas is God seeing our need and reaching down into the world to meet that need, whatever it is. That's what he did for Tammy Trent those years ago. It's what he did for Joseph. Joseph's been wrecked by this news from Mary. And so in Matthew 124, when Joseph woke up, this is his response from the angel's message. He did what the angel said. He took Mary home as his wife. Now he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. He gave him the name Jesus. No more doubts, no more questions, at least for the time being. This dream was enough for him. Now I've kind of wondered, I wonder what it was like as Jesus was, was growing up. Did Joseph ever wonder when Jesus, the infant, is crying again in the middle of the night, or when the three-year-old Jesus spills apple juice all over the table and his plans for the next table he's got to build all get ruined, or when the seven-year-old Jesus keeps misplacing tools in the carpentry shop, did he ever think, was that dream real? <laughs> did, did, did I miss something here? You know, maybe I just had a little too much wine in my chorosit. I don't know. Did he ever doubt? I, I don't know. But right now, this dream was enough. Joseph went from despair to joy. The sadness about Mary became happiness with Mary. And they found a heavy dose of Christmas spirit and holiday cheer. And you need to understand, the impact of this dream was was about more than Mary's honor. Yeah, sure, he's glad Mary had not cheated on him. That's so important. But it's about so much more than that. It's about search and rescue. What do the angels say? You're going to call him Jesus. The name Jesus means the Lord saves. And the angel says, because he will save his people from their sins. Mary and Joseph, I think, show us so much, teach us so much. Here's the bottom line from them today. The rescue only works if you cooperate. The rescue only works if you cooperate. Mary and Joseph were used by God in the most dramatic of ways. They became the tools that God used to reach down and to save us. They were the parents that God chose to entrust his son to. They were the pen and paper God used to write a love letter from heaven. And it's all because they said yes. They weren't off doing their own thing saying, God, please bless us. God told them what to do, and they did it, and he blessed them because they were doing his thing. And so I think this brings us to some kind of points of application here, some tangible steps we can take during this season to really grasp the ultimate search and rescue operation. First of all, and I'll just be honest with you, you're not going to like the first one very much. The first thing I want to say is you need to realize your biggest problem this Christmas is you. And I say that with all due respect. I'm not picking on you. My biggest problem this Christmas is me. See, we like to think that Christmas is all about gifts and lights and carols and visions of sugar plums dancing in our heads. i got to be honest, that's never happened to me. I'm not sure what a sugar plum looks like. but, But Christmas is not about those things. Christmas is about sin. Aren't you glad you came today? Doesn't that make you feel good? Christmas is all about Sin. It's all about how messed up you are and how messed up I am. God invaded our world because you and I have this problem. We have this awful problem and we try to hide it or we try to control it or we try to in some way overcome it, but we can't because we're just sinners. 
and we're in this mess without Jesus. Joseph thought his biggest problem was a pregnant fiance. How could she break his heart like this? And God said, look, you got a much bigger problem. Joseph, your problem is you. you got sin in your life. Mary, you've got sin. World, we've got sin that has to be dealt with. And I'm not telling you this so you'll go home and put coal in everybody's stocking on Christmas morning and sit around under the tree and talk about what reprobates we all are. I just want you to realize that your biggest problem on December 18th is not that it's December 18th and you haven't bought a single Christmas present yet. Your biggest problem is not that your kids love December 25th, but you know what the credit card bill is going to look like in January. Your biggest problem is not that your family's a mess. Your biggest problem is you. My biggest problem is me. And we are sinners who are desperately in need of grace. My son Aaron follows this guy on Instagram, and I started following him too. Fascinating. He goes by Scott the Painter. If you're an Instagram person, look up Scott the Painter. And, and he, he paints a picture and then he writes about it in just captivating ways. And this past week, he talked about the virgin birth. And he said, at the heart of the Christmas story is a paradox. Jesus, fully God and fully human, the finite and the infinite, wove together salvation in the belly of a young woman. What did the angels say? Nothing's impossible with God. What did Mary say? May it be to me as you have said. And then Scott the painter kind of wrapped up by saying impossibility is the starting point for divine possibility. Impossibility is the starting point of possibility. That God loves to work with impossible situations like you and like me. Basically, he says, look, if God could put his son into the womb of a virgin, he can deal with the mess in your life. He can handle it. He can do in you and through you whatever he wants. And there's, there's, there's something else I want you to think about, and that's that at this season of the year, be open to an encounter with God. Joseph accepted the word of the Lord. If he had been cynical, if he had been hard-hearted, I don't think God would have allowed him to be the husband of Mary, the stepfather of Jesus. But he was open to what the angel said to him, and it turned everything around for him. And I think sometimes we can miss the joy of Christmas because we simply miss Jesus in Christmas. We spend so much time shopping and wrapping and decorating and rushing from event to event, we forget whose birthday it is. We spend all of our time getting ready for the party, and we forget to invite the guest of honor. It's one of the reasons it's so important to worship this time of year. It gives us perspective. It, it puts us in a position to stay focused on our priorities. I'm not saying you can't maintain your priorities if you're not sitting in a church building. I'm just saying we need to worship because we remember what all of this madness is about. I've probably told you this story before, but I just love it. Bob Fife is a former professor from Milligan College. My sons went there. My brother and sister went there. And back during World War II, Bob said that his battalion of soldiers was fighting their way through France. And it was a bitter cold Christmas Eve. And he said that he and some of his buddies had to bed down in an abandoned barn. And he wrote later, I thought to myself, Fife... You have to be the loneliest, sorriest person in the world right now spending, <laughs> spending Christmas Eve in a barn 
far from home. And then he said, it occurred to me, Jesus spent his first day on earth in a barn far from home. And he said, what started as as my most depressing Christmas ever became for me the most meaningful Christmas that I've ever had. And I think sometimes if we can just shift our perspective and maintain an openness to what God wants us to see and hear and be reminded about, we won't just say, I've heard that story a thousand times. Maybe God wants to do something this year that's really powerful in your life. We need to be open for it. And the final thing is we just need to walk with God in obedience. Joseph took Mary home just like God said. He married her just like God said. Eight days after Jesus was born, he named him Jesus just like God said. When Herod decided that he wanted to kill Jesus and God said, take Mary and the baby and go to Egypt, he went to Egypt just like God said. We don't know much about Joseph. It's just that every time we read about him, he's doing exactly what God said for him to do. And there's something about obedience that when we feel the pressure, when maybe things are hard, that we have to just consistently follow the Lord. If Christmas is a struggle for you, maybe maybe we need to do some soul searching. Is there some secret sin? Is there some immoral relationship? Is there some stubborn habit that's causing us to miss the power of this moment? Maybe it's a pride thing and we're just not submitting to the lordship of Jesus. Maybe you're just clutching those shopping bags and you're rushing off from party to party, frantically trying to stay busy because you don't want to slow down enough to think about what your life's really about. Until we decide to walk with God daily, we're never going to have joy and we're never going to have peace. Let me read to you something else. It's from Frederick Beekner. He said, A child born in the night among beasts, and nothing is ever the same again. For those who believe in God, you can never be sure of him again. Once you've seen him in a stable, born a peasant's child, you can never be sure where God will appear, to what lengths he will go, to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend to in his wild pursuit of humanity. God's crazy enough to do anything to try to reach you and me. And he proved that at Christmas. He's still searching. He is still rescuing. But the rescue only works if we cooperate. Let me close with this. I want you to think about, of all things, the Titanic. When the Titanic hit that iceberg in the North Atlantic over a century ago, it was not a violent crash that threw people to the deck. The iceberg scraped the ship's hull. It popped rivets separating some steel plates. And many of the passengers were not even aware of the collision. Virtually all of them immediately went back to what they had been doing before. It was disastrous. We know that with 2020 hindsight. They just didn't know. Now, it didn't take the captain long to learn the extent of the damage, and he immediately began to send out distress signals. The, the crew began moving people toward lifeboats, but the first few lifeboats that were lowered into the water were only about half full because most of the people thought this was an overreaction. They wanted to stay where it was safe on the, the deck of the ship. They didn't want to contend with all that frigid water. 
But we know, looking back, that the lifeboats were their only hope. See, when the captain sent out that distress call, the closest boat was the Carpathia, and it was far enough away the Titanic was going to be on the bottom of the ocean floor before the Carpathia could get there. Their only hope, listen to me, their only hope was to be in a lifeboat. And so many of them were not interested in that. And this is what Ken Geyer said, comparing the the sinking of the Titanic to the gospel. He said, Jesus did not come into the world to send the ship to the bottom of the sea. That was already happening. He came to save those who were sinking. In other words, Jesus didn't come to just kind of send us all to hell because of the mess we were in. We were already there. He came to rescue us. But we have to embrace the rescuer. Rescue only works if we cooperate. Let's pray. Father, we think about Christmas time and we're all over the map when it comes to emotions about it. But God, I pray that we would remember the significance of it. That we would recognize again today not just with our, our hearts, but with our minds, that God, Christmas began the ultimate rescue. And God, we, we can decide to kind of stay on the boat, to stay on the ship and, and ignore the warnings, or we can get in a lifeboat and be rescued. We have a choice to make. We, we, we always do because you, you made it that way. Our prayer today, God, my prayer for each of us is that we would recognize what you've done in humility, surrender before you and find hope. That's the prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.